You're listening to episode nine of the In the City podcast. dedicated to advancing hope, crafting purpose, and shaping transformation. Your host is the Reverend Dr. Jonathan G. Smith. Whether you are working from home, in the car, or listening at work, this podcast is dedicated to helping you live out your faith in the city. And now here's your host, Jonathan. And hello, everybody. This is Jonathan. So happy to be here with you today on another podcast episode of the In The City Podcast. Great to be here today with you. Thank you so much for taking the opportunity to listen today. You know, this week is all about finding hope in a chaotic world. And particularly, you know, I'm I'm specifically talking about keeping hope when you're a mom. You know, I can't think of anything that is harder than being a mom. And for a, a million reasons... And I can tell you, having been married for almost 16 years, yes, my wife and I, my wife Ivy, will be almost uh, celebrating. We're getting close to celebrating our anniversary in August. It's been 16 years. And the one thing that I have learned in being married to my incredible wife for almost 16 years is I I have observed how difficult it is to be a mom. I mean, it's just so difficult. There are so many pressures on moms these days to be uh, incredible uh, housekeepers or incredible providers, uh, trying to balance career uh, with being mothers when, and then trying to carve out space for themselves. And all of the incredible just uh, pressures that the world, the church, parents, mother-in-laws all put on ladies who are moms and so because it was mother's day this past sunday uh as a pastor you know i gave that great uh, mother's day sermon i don't know if it was great or not but i uh you know hopefully it helped um but you know i really tried to look at hope and that is how do we build hope in the midst of this crazy and chaotic world And so today we're going to be looking specifically at two stories that are in Scripture that really feature some amazing uh, uh, pictures or, or presents an amazing picture of how Jesus encourages his disciples and encourages those around him to develop hope. And so, you know, um, last week, I don't know uh, about what you did, but at my house, I invited my mother and I invited my mother-in-law and even my sister-in-law and, and, and my brother, and I invited all my family over uh, to celebrate Mother's Day. And, you know, it was a little bit self-serving on my part because I absolutely hate going out to dinner on Mother's Day. And I know there's a lot of men out there that they, they that's what they do. They take their family and their wives out to dinner because they don't want to clean up. But I actually happen to enjoy cooking. And so I said, hey, you know, I'm just going to cook for everybody. So it worked out great. I got to do something that I like to do and then have everybody over. But anyways, the thing that I, you know, as I was just thinking about just being around who I actually think are marvelous ladies. I mean, all of the ladies in my in my family are just incredible. But, you know, as I was thinking about them and I was just looking at them, 
they all of them, uh, excluding from my mother who's retired, all of them have some sort of career. And they are always in the process of trying to balance their career with their family. And it's challenging. And it is incredibly challenging. So this episode, we're going to be talking about the pressures of life. And we're going to be talking about uh, hope. And how do we build in and keep hope in this crazy world? So today is a Mother's Day, and it's one of those sermons, by the way, where I, I almost have trepidation in preparing, because with Father's Day, you can pretty much stand up here and pick on fathers and everybody. <laughs> but with mothers, you'd be very careful, rector, what you say. Woe to you, preacher. And so as I was actually preparing this uh, passage this morning, which was why it was so pertinent for me to read chapter 5, I was so uh, relieved to find out that it was this passage of Scripture that we were actually going to cover because it is a message of hope. It is a message of hope. And if there's anything that we need today, and that's not just for mothers, but especially for mothers, we need hope. We need to be reminded of the hope that we have in the gospel. We need to be reminded of the hope that comes with faith in Jesus Christ. Because in our world today, as I've often said, that we are challenged, challenged, challenged by a culture that is striving to grab the attention of our children and take them away from faith in Jesus Christ. There is unprecedented, unprecedented, Corruption, unprecedented temptation, unprecedented uh, oppression that is on our children. And not just our young children as we have, but on grown children who look to the message of the church and say, it's simply not relevant. And they go off and they live life apart from knowing Christ. You see, beloved, if there's anything that we need today, we need to be reminded of the hope that is within. And today, I want to highlight something that is particularly interesting. And that is, if you've ever met a mama of faith, how many mamas of faith are in here? Come on. I'm talking about a mama of faith who believes for their children. There is a tenacity inside a mother, into a mother's tenacity that says, I am believing that God, through his word, will maintain his promises to my children. And beloved, that is what I want to encourage today, that we stir up a tenacity of faith, that we stir up inside our hearts this belief in the gospel because we need to remember something, particularly for you who have grown children that are suffering and struggling in the world. And beloved, let me just tell you that as I meet with 20-year-olds and even 30-year-olds, that many of them are struggling. They are struggling. They are struggling because the opportunities today are not what they were years ago. That is, if you do not have a specialized degree in an advanced field, the likelihood of you trying to find work that will give you a standard of living that many of you enjoyed simply is not possible. In fact, what we are seeing with 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds is unprecedented, and that is that many of them are forced to stay at home because they do not have the opportunities 
that once were available. And what is happening, what I have seen particularly, is that those young people are falling off onto the edges of society. But beloved, let me just suggest something to you. Jesus cares for those on the edges of society. Just as much as we might be concerned for the center. It is so important that we understand that what Jesus cares for are those on the edges of society. And that is precisely what chapter 5 is teaching this morning. It is precisely this focus. Listen to how the passage begins. And it seems like it's become a common refrain as we have gone through the Gospel of Mark. And listen to it. Here it is. A great crowd gathered about him. How many times have I said to you this spring, the crowd. We keep seeing this refrain in Mark over and over and over again. But what's amazing about this passage is that it seems as if that Jesus is completely ignoring them because there's a little girl that's dying and he wants to go and heal her. What this passage actually gives us this morning is the story of two daughters, a heavenly daughter and an earthly daughter. The earthly daughter, who we've already talked about just in mentioning, we see represented by her father Jairus in verses 21 through 24. In the scene is this, that Jesus arrives by the lake, and obviously they saw him as Jesus was coming by boat to shore, and those were gathering around, looked at him and said, look, there is Jesus again. And obviously by this point in the gospel, what we see is his fame has started to spread like wildfire. People are coming all over, no doubt with one thing in mind, and that is to be healed, because he was going to be their liberating king. The promised Messiah. Others had views of him overturning the Roman government. But whatever the agenda was, what we see here are the highlights of two precious daughters who Jesus points his attention to. Those who would have been forgotten. Those who would have not even been at all on the radar of anybody except for a desperate father whose daughter was suffering and for a woman who had been rejected altogether. Let's look at this as we continue and look at looking into this because what we see here is a juxtaposition that is so precious and so beautiful and so uplifting that once you understand and unpack this, you see the beauty and the love of the Father being demonstrated here. The beauty and the love of God for you and for us. And what we see here is this precious, precious image of compassion from Jesus. So let's look into this as we begin. We see in verse 22 this description of Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and he comes to Jesus and he says, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Why did Jairus believe this? 
Remarkably, what the other Gospels actually tell us is that the location here is Capernaum. And if you remember from when we first started this back in Mark chapter 1, Capernaum in the synagogue is where Jesus went in and actually took care of the man who was filled with that evil demonic spirit. When in the middle of Jesus preaching, the man stands up and begins to blaspheme Jesus, and Jesus demands the enemy to be silent, the spirit to be silent, and casts out the demon. And then from Mark we see Jesus healing. So Jairus knew about the reputation because he would have witnessed it. But what is remarkable about Jairus is this. It is that he is described as a ruler of the synagogue. Which means that one of his responsibilities as the ruler of the synagogue was to be certain that anyone who would have been declared ceremonial unclean was kept out of the congregation which is precisely the woman who enters into the scene. Do you see the juxtaposition that's happening, this comparison and this contrast? Here is Jairus, desperate for Jesus Christ to come and to save his daughter, and yet the very woman that he would have kept out is the very woman that Jesus is going to use to give a demonstration of faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's get into this as we see this unpacked. And so in verse 24, Jesus listens to Jairus, and it says, And he went with him. And then we see the great crowd again emphasized. And the great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And in verse 25, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. The desperate nature of this description is unfathomable. We read this and we think, you know, oh, this terrible woman. But remember, they're living in an ancient world with primitive medicine who had no concept of the medical advances that we have. And so she's exhausted all of her resources only to get worse. And then she reasons to herself, somehow, some way, if she touches, verse 28, if she just simply touches the garment of the healer, that she is going to be healed. How did she come to this? We're not told. How is it that she somehow had this reason that she could go around and just simply touch him? And what's so important about this in verse 24 is that the gospel writer tells us that a great crowd was following Jesus. No doubt that they were pressing in upon him. And so Jesus is summoned by Jairus, and Jairus be- and Jesus begin to walk towards his house. Can you imagine what she must have gone through when she saw Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, taking Jesus? So she pushes through. She has a tenacity of faith. And so she works, determined to touch the garment. In verse 27, it says, She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. And in verse 29, it says, And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she had been healed. 
What are we being told here? It's very important that we understand the detail. It's very important for this reason, and that is because what we see is that this woman is pressing through all circumstances, almost pressing through the crowd. Can you imagine the desperate nature of the crowd trying to get Jesus' attention? It would have been almost chaotic at this point. We know from chapter 4 that the crowd was so pressing around Jesus that Jesus had to actually go back into the security of a boat to preach because they were constantly pressing in on him. And yet she reasoned in her heart if she could only touch him so she doesn't even go to him, Pierre. He actually, actually sneaks up behind him. Because in her mind, what I believe is that God had already begun a work in her. If I could just touch his garment, I would be healed. How come no one else was being healed? The gospel writer doesn't tell us. But something happened, and something is so remarkable about this passage, because then we see in verse 29, excuse me, verse 30, listen to this text, and Jesus, perceiving in himself, that is within him, that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Now, the next verse helps us to understand the situation. Look at the sarcasm of the disciples. Like if this was a Father's Day sermon, I would, this is where I'd probably pick on dads a little bit. But it's Mother's Day, so we'll let dads off on this one. And he says, and his disciples said to him, Jesus, you see the crowd pressing around you, and you say, who touched me? What were they doing? They, were, they had no idea what had happened. Because they were looking at everything in the natural order. They had no concept of faith. They had no idea that something had happened. Because they're just looking around what? At their circumstances that were immediately in front of them. And they actually chastised the Lord. Notice Jesus doesn't respond to them. It goes on in verse 32, verse 33, and then notice, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now, why did she feel fear? It's not as if she would have been afraid because she had been healed and somehow something was going on. No, remember, she would have been declared ceremonial unclean. And for an unclean person to touch another person, they would have been declared unceremonial, ceremonial unclean. You could not touch an unclean person. And here was this woman who had the audacity to violate the law of Moses and to touch Jesus. And so we see her trembling before Jesus, fearful perhaps of the wrath that, that she thought might come. And it says, and told him the whole truth. And now look how Jesus responds. It's beautiful. He doesn't say, woman, how dare you touch me? He doesn't, you know, say, you know, what is your name? Notice what he says. Daughter, your faith has made you well. 
Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is so precious and so powerful that I just want to slow down for just a moment and just to camp out on what's actually happened here. Because, beloved, this is so intimate that we've actually entered into what I would say is holy ground. Because what you see here is the God the Father who is all-powerful, where this woman has demonstrated and felt the power of God heal her in a magnificent way, in a way that for 12 years that she's been tortured to death by physicians and by the legal code of the law of the religious Pharisees. And now the King of kings and the Lord of lords opens up his arms to her and says, Daughter, it's beautiful. It is here that I would remind you of a very important Christian doctrine, which is the doctrine of adoption, where that is, is that where God adopts us and declares us sons and daughters of Him. That's Ephesians chapter 1. That is, we've been adopted into the family of God. And here is this woman, this outcast, who is physically, because of her physical disability, has been outcast from all society. And here she is, and, she, and God says, I am adopting you into my family. And not only does he say, daughter, but he then says, go in peace, and that is the shalom of God. That is not only does she have peace with him in that moment, peace in the, with the law, but now she is at peace with God, her Father, where we all have peace. Beloved, it is pointing to this miraculous hope and good news that we have in faith in Jesus Christ. Go in peace. And what? Be healed of your disease. I thought that she was already healed. No. It's a greater disease, isn't it? The disease of sin and death. And what Jesus is doing is that he is giving this precious insight, this beauty of taking this woman, this untouchable woman, and saying, you are whole. And beloved, if that is not a picture of salvation, I don't know what is. It is beautiful. But now listen to this juxtaposition. It's so important. Listen to this contrast. Because in verse 34, Jesus says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. But then listen to this in verse 35. All the people from the ruler's house come and say, Your daughter is dead. Did you catch that? Here the Bible is doing something, beloved. It's declared, Daughter, your faith has made you well. And for this, the other daughter, your daughter is dead. Who has the power to raise the dead to life? We're about to find out. So in verse 35, excuse me, verse 36, Jesus overhearing what they said, he says to the ruler of the synagogue, now Jairus was there the whole time because he's, Jesus is taking Jairus to his house. Jairus is taking Jesus to his house. And they would have been accompanying each other. And then Jairus would have witnessed this, and he would have been looking around and seeing this. And what does he say? Do not fear, only believe. 
Beloved, this is the very woman's testimony that he would have shut out of his congregation. And now Jesus is using this woman to give testimony and faith to Jairus to have faith. It's incredible. And in verse 37, I think as a penalty to the disciples, it says, And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And this is kind of where I would say, I could look at just, imagine Jesus right now. Come on, guys. Come on. It's time for you to learn. That's what I would have done anyways. In verse 38, it says, They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, and notice the question again. Notice these two questions. The first question was, who touched me? And now listen to this. Verse 39, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And look at how they responded. And they laughed at him. They laughed at the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How many times do people laugh at Christianity? And yet they miss it. So he shuts them all out. And then we see the preciousness of Jesus taking the little girl's hand and gently picking it up and saying, little girl, I say to you, arise. And the power of God flows and he resurrects this little girl. Beloved, that same resurrection power is available today. That same resurrection power is available for your children. That same resurrection power is available and is what's transformed our church because it is the gospel because the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he goes to those on the edge of society, that he dismisses the crowd, and he goes to the ones who are suffering, that need hope. And he says to those parents who are weeping and frustrated and wondering, and he says to them, do not fear, only believe. And this is the great hope that we have. Mothers, for those of you who are worried about your children, that is the message for you. Do not fear, only believe. Jesus says in Matthew 5, what are you worrying about? How can worry and add anything to your life? Do not fear, only believe. You see, the gloriousness of all of this, and the amazing part about this whole passage to me, is that it's giving us such a picture of the redemption of Christ. It is giving us such a foreshadowing of the whole gospel ministry. And in fact, beloved, when we look at this passage, you know, for those of you who are involved in recovery works, it gives us hope. That just because the crowd says there's no hope, you'll never change. Jesus says, believe. It says for a small church like us, you're never going to make it. You're never going to pay your bills. Jesus says, I make all things new. It says for those who are caught up in sexual immorality or are broken or are living lives that are alternative lifestyles. It says, Jesus says, I made them and can transform them. 
You see, that is the astonishing aspect of this entire passage, and that is the possibility of hope. And that is the greatest gift that we can give our children, which is hope. That everything that you find yourself in, the circumstances that you're in, whatever choices that you've made, whatever they are, hope is still possible. Ultimately, mothers, worrying about your children is natural because you love your children. But how much more does God the Father love your children? You cannot possibly love your children as much as God the Father loves them. But you can certainly, certainly testify to how much love that really is. As a reminder, Jesus cares as much for those who are on the edges of society, as much as he cares for those who call upon him. You know, it's so difficult, I think, personally, when I, you know, when I just think about faith, calling upon him, you know, have faith, just believe. I mean, so difficult, but the truth of the matter is, I mean, at the very heart of what we do, of what we believe, at the very heart of hope is faith. Without faith, without uh, believing in Christ, there is no hope. And that, and that is truly where we are in our life. That's truly what makes it possible. You know, as I think about all of the different things in our lives that we, we have to think through and all of the different um, concerns that we have, all of the things, when I begin to hear stories about what happens overseas, you know, I, I get decimated every single time. And here's a great example. After the service was over on Sunday, uh, there's a, a parishioner in our uh, church who came up to me, and she happens to be a native Nigerian. And if you don't know what's going on in Nigeria, Nigeria is one of the top nations in the world where uh, radical problems of terrorism are occurring. And particularly, she is from a region of Nigeria where there is a group, a nomadic group, called the Fulani, who are attacking Christians and uh, kidnapping children and raping young girls, all part of their Islamization program. And uh, she came and she was just sort of telling me those stories. And she was telling me about all the atrocities that were taking place over there. And she said that in church today, there will be women whose children were taken from them and yet they will be lifting up praise to God because the only thing they have is hope. They have nothing else. They only have their faith. I think sometimes in the West, when we uh, think about all the things that we could possibly lose, mostly our possessions, our homes, our cars, our way of life, our, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blanks, whatever our, we think is important, when you talk with somebody who comes from a region of the world that has nothing, it really begins to shape and transform and reprogram your thinking. And so as I think about this young father who was pleading to Jesus for hope to heal, Jesus' response was so incredible. Have hope. Believe. 
that's all the time that we have today. As always, if you're interested and you want more information about this episode, you can always go to jonathangsmith.com forward slash ITC9. And if you're interested in learning more about what's happening in Nigeria, I'm going to keep some some links there in the show notes for you. Uh, But listen, remember, we are Christians and we are a people marked by Listening to a Verve Creative production.